When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trott is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Now part of the athletic baseball show where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all season long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for The Athletic, and I'm joined, as always, by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and the voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. Doug, it takes a long time now for me to get out your introduction. (laughs) You can't take on any more jobs. Got it? Yeah, it's it's tough. You know, it's it's part part of the the tradition. Uh, I think back to my dad in Trinidad. Uh, I think he had a lot of jobs, as did my mom. So it's all part of the family. Okay, well, beautiful. Um, <laughs> Doug, you're in St. Louis this weekend, calling Cardinals, Giants. Uh, yes. And before we get into what happened in that game, it's time for your weekly travelogue. What was the highlight of your journey <laughs> to St. Louis? Well, it was, it was a blast. I hadn't been there in a minute. Just uh, the last time it had been, I think I went for May the 4th, the uh, Star Wars Day. I know that was Ooh. one of the older ones. I interviewed Darth Vader. That was interesting. Uh, but, yeah, the yeah, – so seeing the arch – Yeah, yeah, I did. I made it. I made it. And uh, the arch, you know, definitely had some memories just seeing the arch. I went up there 2015, I think. So, uh, yeah, you make sure you are not claustrophobic. I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was it was great. I think you know a lot of highlights. I mean, memories of Puerto Rico baseball really stood out. Uh, Nick Ortiz, who coaches with the Giants, who played in uh, against us at Arecibo in, in the Winter League, they actually beat us the first year for the championship. But um, it was it was great to see him. It's been a long time. And then Ben Molina, Yadi, Yadi's brother, his older his older brother, is doing Spanish radio for the Cardinals. And, uh, you know, I hadn't seen him in a while. And, you know, Ben was fantastic. I mean, he, he had two home runs in the finals, the, the clinching game, uh, to beat San Juan, who had, you know, Juan Gonzalez. I mean, they were loaded. So there was, um, you know, some really good memories of, of winning the championship in Puerto Rico. So, yeah, so I, you know, it was nice. And Mike Claiborne, the voice of uh, 41 years of St. Louis sports, he was, he was there. And, of course, the, the, the usual gang with Tim Kirchin. But uh, it, it was good, and, and we had a chance to sit with Gabe Kapler, who's always interesting, so uh, that always kept it spicy. So I, I think a lot of it made me think back of really the joyous days of playing winter ball in Puerto Rico, which was 
one of the best baseball experiences I've I ever had. And you call him Ben Molina, not Benji Molina. Yeah, Ben. Yeah, or Ben. Yeah, Ben Molina. We'll call him Benji too. It, it <laughs> intertwines. Yes. <laughs> Never heard anybody call him anything but Benji before. So, I'm just always amazed that the the world that Doug Glanville lives in does not always work the same as our world. So that's <laughs> right. one of the reasons that Doug is such a phenomenal co-host because you never know <laughs> what we're going to hear about. But let's just move along to that game Sunday night because a truly crazy thing <laughs> happened right there in front of your eyes, uh, right in front of the eyes of this week's guest on this very podcast, John Boog Shambi, and in front of the eyes of America. It was the ninth inning, and who came in to pitch? It was a guy named Albert Pujols came in to pitch, uh, and his team was winning. So, Doug, when Albert took the mound, what went through your mind outside of the thought, I need to text Stark about this right this minute? <laughs> well, I kept thinking, this will make a great Starkville episode. I, I definitely... <laughs> Uh, especially given Luis Gonzalez, another position player, had come in for the Giants in the seventh. So I was like, wow, they're, they're you know, going to the well early. And, you know, we, we kind of forget, like, oh, my goodness, the fact that pitchers are no longer hitting, you forget that they're, you know, you think they'll never happen again, right, these moments. And then all of a sudden, I had the, the glory of two position players going in the game. So Gonzalez was interesting because he was throwing – 82, you know, and then the second inning they told him to slow down, so he threw 44. Is that what happened? He yeah, threw they, 10 pitches in a row in the 80s, and then he came yeah. in the next inning and threw like 12 in a row in the 40s. If I think they told him, I said, that's too, if you're throwing too hard, you're going to hurt your arm, or or just it's too good hitting speed. 80, you need to <laughs> be below hitting speed. Yeah. So he started lobbing. Then he tried to, he almost snuck one by Dickerson by going 44, then 82. And Dickerson was so late, one pitch. but he did foul it off. But um, yeah, so so I was already in the mode. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, Albert Pujols is coming in the pitch. <laughs> like, it was like, what am I looking at right now? He, he didn't warm up in the bullpen, though, right? I don't think so. I, I don't know where he came. He's been in the game, so he, he must have gone back in the tunnel or the cage and just thrown a few. Yeah, well, I'm trying to think where. I thought he was coming from that, you know, the angle of the outfield, but I, I don't remember. It was too stunning <laughs> to remember where he came, if he teleported in or something. So I was definitely like, him. oh, yeah, it was definitely him. It was like, this is, so I'm thinking, like, how am I going to call this? Does he have, like, what's his spin rate? What's his pitch usage? Uh, do we even get into this? Can he actually get a save, give up 12 runs and get a save? You know, of course, we, we had fun with that. But Albert Pujols got on the mound, and uh, and the fans were on their feet. I mean, this was like Game Seven of the, of the World Series in 2011. It was like, what is going on? <laughs> well, they were uh, winning by two touchdowns, so yeah, you know, jubilation reigned. Uh, so you took a video of Albert pitching and sent it to me. Was was that kind of the broadcaster equivalent of when Evan Longoria got a hit off Albert and asked for the ball? Yeah, I mean that was well. The funny thing is, I don't think Shambi saw that. So I was like, I think I think Longoria just threw the ball out after he got a hit off of yeah, Pujols. Yeah. Now I did now I did wacky stuff like that when I was playing. If I got a hit off of a pitcher, I really struggled against, 
or I got to hit a Turner field which at night, which is impossible. I would actually have the ball thrown out. Umpire was like, oh, what is that? Is that a milestone? He's like, no, no, I just got to hit a Turner field. That's it. So uh, I appreciated Longoria, but but the um, but yeah, I mean, Pulos was throwing sixty four roughly, and he would he threw a I think what I would call a change up, I guess, at about forty six, so or some inverted. So yeah, it was you know he wasn't fooling anybody, but uh, I really enjoyed the moment for Starkville purposes as Luis Gonzalez, the left fielder who became the pitcher, right, then hit off of the DH who became the pitcher in Albert Pujols as the pitcher, and then he hits a home run off of Pujols. I really did enjoy that because I'm not sure I've seen anything quite like it. Left fielder becoming pitcher, DH becoming pitcher. Has that ever happened before? Probably not. I I, I remind you that just last week, Anthony Rendon, who hits right-handed, decided to bat left-handed and hit a home run off Brett Phillips. So (laughs) when you go down this road, craziness happens. We're all for that. So, Absolutely. A lot. I, you know, this is this is going to be a huge topic for me. I don't want to tip my hand on all the stuff that I've looked up about this game or that <laughs> I'm about to look up for this week's Weird and Wild column. But just go through a couple things. Uh, my first thought, I did tweet this. Uh, how could I not think? I wonder when's the last time a guy with 681 home runs was asked to pitch. And for some reason, that name, Babe Ruth, <laughs> entered my mind. So I, I dialed up Babe Ruth's pitching game log, and it turned out that on the last day of the 1933 season, the Yankees, because the Yankees were always fun back then, said, Babe, why don't you pitch and throw about a thousand pitches and we'll let you pitch a complete game. (laughs) (laughs) So he did. Uh, And he hit a home run that day. It was 686 for him. So 686 homers for Babe, 681 for Albert. Babe wins, but it's still a a fun group. Uh, Next question. Okay. Albert has over 3,300 hits. So when's the last time a guy with that many hits? Got to pitch. That was almost 100 years ago. Ty Cobb, also in the last day of the season, on 1925. And, Doug, apparently the last day of the season was a time of merriment back in those days. Yeah. I remember when we had our competition the first year of Starkville about pitchers pitching by league. And Ben Zobris pitched the last game of the season. It's like one thing he wanted to do. That's what I that's what I appreciated about it, because you know Pujols has done everything, and and you still have that joy as a kid, that you you know you remember you pitched. Most of these guys probably pitched at some point in their you know little league or something, and I think it just reduces a, a future Hall of Famer and a legend to someone that everybody can relate to. It's just that fun of being out of your <laughs> element and pitching. I, I think it was great, like. Um, so I, I thought it really it humanized the moment. Uh, and, you know, Pulse can be, you know, they call them machine. He pretty, can be serious. But I, I, they loved it. The fans were really he excited it. about it. He yeah. loved it. That's the most fun I've ever seen Albert have playing yeah. a baseball game, ever. You know, I, I, I did look up one thing that he did that Babe Ruth never did. But you know what I decided? I, I, I don't think I'm going to reveal it here. No. <laughs> I got, I, I'm going to save it. For that weird and wild column. Now, do you think Albert? You think Albert was more became more sympathetic to all the home runs he hit off of pitchers 
after giving up two home runs. I, I think he, he became a more sympathetic figure. Did you see his quote? He or did empathetic. say, "This is like we gave up those two homers." He said, "That's what I've done 422 <laughs> times. All those pitchers I homered off of. Yep. He knew how many he'd homered off of. He knew <laughs> so. that's a, that's something. Yeah. So, did he feel their pain? He didn't seem that pained. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a nail biter that game. Did you notice that? And it didn't zip along yeah. that quickly either. No, it was the Cardinals exploded. Wow, Goldschmidt, everybody, Molina, yeah, they they look great. They look like a whole different team. Uh, it's like a turning point. You know, sometimes those are the moments that change everything, Doug. So, in a few months, we'll revisit whether Albert Pujols' trip to the mound was the moment that changed everything for the St. Louis Cardinals and the entire sport of baseball. What do you say? Uh, I, I'll, I'll take that one. Yes. Let's, let's mark it down. I feel let's a mark, column forthcoming. Let's mark it down. And now I know a guy that we can ask about this. He, too, was there. Time to welcome in one of our very favorite regular visitors to Starkville. His name is John. No one calls him John. It's the great voice of the Cubs on Mark Key Sports and the partner of Doug Glanville himself on ESPN Radio. It's the one, the only, John Boog Shambi currently holding up a Boog t-shirt. Boog, you're back in Starkville. It's so good to be back in Starkville. It's good to see. It's been, by the way, like, I've known you guys both for 20 Five some odd years. Yeah, I mean, I holy right. cow! Yeah. Remember what Jake, what Dougie Jason wrote about me when I was the Marlins pregame postgame guy. We had this unbelievable run of rain delays, shocker, in South Florida, and he he would write about rain delay theater and what I would do to cover the rain delays. And it was, oh my gosh, my grandparents would read it in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and it was what it, it was awesome. It was so cool. Yeah, you've said many times, greatest thrill of your entire career, correct? I mean, I'm not kidding you that that was, that was big time stuff for me. 1997, I just getting started, that was, uh, yeah, that was awesome. It was a thrill. Well, hey, we love you, man. And I just want to show you how much we love you. We normally record on Mondays. Right, you guys love what day is this? It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday, is this? I think. Right. It's Tuesday morning. Um, and, all right. Since our, we know that our listeners love to hear all about our travel nightmares, sometime I'll tell you about my last trip to Cleveland. Oh, boy. Why don't you tell us why you couldn't record Monday as scheduled? So. Sunday night, Doug and I did the Cardinals and the Giants on ESPN Radio from Bush Stadium. And Dougie was smart. He got on the first thing, smoking out of Dodge on the O-Dark 30. I decided to be a tiny bit more conservative. Monday night, had the Cubs and the Pirates at Wrigley at 640 local. So I got on a 730 flight. Well, I wake up in the morning and my flight immediately is delayed until 2 in the afternoon. And then it is delayed till three in the afternoon. And now that, so that's not going to work. But now I called and every flight uh, out of, you know, that was going to get me in on time to either O'Hare or Midway was sold out. Mm. And now the clock starts to tick <laughs> and oh, I end up 
four and a half hour Uber from uh, from oh, you took an downtown Uber? St. Louis you took to an Chicago. Uber? Oh, I took an Uber. Oh my goodness! I was and I got really? an Uber and the guy, and I was like, "Hey man, we're gonna go to Chicago." And the guy was like, "Uh huh, okay." <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, Chicago." And he's like, "Yep." And, and I that was the right. the last word that I spoke to him for four and a half hours. I just sat there clipping <laughs> like articles and reading stuff and prepping for the game and just going over things and and then we were there and then i i did like i felt like do you remember that's incredible yes the show yeah do you remember yogi kudu who got into the box and like put his his feet behind his head that's how i felt getting out of the the dodge caravan <laughs> America, so. you know, America needs to know yeah. how much it costs to take an Uber from St. Louis to Chicago. I think it was six hundred forty-six dollars. Plus tip. That included tip. Plus your usual two hundred dollar tip. Plus your usual two hundred dollar tip. That's right. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So the, and then we went. You know, and then we just went and called, called pirates and uh, pirates and Cubs and. And away we go. So yeah, I, I was not anticipating a four and a half hour Uber ride. It was not. No. Was not anticipating that. Yeah. yeah and I, well, I got up that morning, probably like four thirty. My flight was at six forty-five Southwest Airlines, and well, the guy that I was having a, a bad day was the guy looking for his keys. The valet couldn't find it, <laughs> and he had a no. and he had a rental car. So he was like, "I got to get to the airport." <laughs> And I don't know how that ended, actually, because I I left and they were still trying to find this guy's keys. So, I mean, and they were, you know, it's a bad sign when the valet is asking you, now, what color is your car again? <laughs> hey, I, you know, I, I've got one of these where I covered opening day in Washington. Next morning, went down to valet parking. Me and Dan Ugla standing there. He's moving into his place. I'm trying to get the heck out of there and go home. And uh, Dan Ugla gets his car, drives away. Next thing I know, Dan Ugla is back. He's got a second car. Gets that car, drives away. Like 50 other people drive away. I'm still standing there. And now the manager comes out of the front door and puts his arm around me and says, hey, we need to talk. Like, this is not good, right? And it turned out uh, in the garage... They put some, sometimes when they don't have enough space for the cars, they put some of the cars up on a lift and no, the no. lift broke. They could not get my car down <laughs> off the lift. And the manager said, hey, here's the good news. I found somebody who can fix it. Uh, here's the bad news. He's in Newark now. <laughs> Oh, he'll be here in five hours. <laughs> so, just amuse yourself. Okay, good. Oh That's a goodness. great, oh. great idea. So, do I win? I don't think I win. That's pretty good, That's pretty good though, yeah. right there. It is a good one. Yeah. yeah. I have to I have to catch up with Dan Ugly and ask him how his day went. Uh, anyway, look, I, I always look forward to your visits, uh, especially this one, because something occurred to me over the last couple of days that you and I have something in common. No matter where we go in life or what we do or who we're working for, we keep running into that Doug Glanville. Have you noticed that? I'm the degree of separation, yes. apparently, yes. You are. You know, we both worked with him now in multiple places. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing he probably is always texting you with his astute observations on baseball as often as he texts me. Uh, is it him or is it 
us. Well, I, can I? There's a degree of Doug Glanville that you're not aware of, and that is, <laughs> I'm not. You're not aware of. <laughs> okay. I'm serious. No, I'm serious in terms of my connection to him. So, I was 13 years old. I went to this baseball sleepaway camp for like two or three years. And there were, I want to say, three kids from Teaneck, New Jersey. Malik Limerick, Robbie Richardson. I think there was one other one other kid. But I became really good friends with these guys. Well, Malik, now Dan Limerick, who, by the way, is the COO of William Morris Endeavor now. Um, Dan Limerick went to Penn with Dougie. Yeah. And Robbie Richardson still one of his good friends so when i had been hearing about doug through them from the time i was 13 years old and then doug and i got to meet when he was a player and and i made that connection with about malik and robbie richardson and then um eventually doug and i got a chance to to work together so that one's kind of funny yeah that's pretty good that, that's 13. pretty good. Um, how would you just how would you describe what it's like to work with Glanville? Do you think you've been able to uh, bring him out of his shell at all? Oh, he, I, it's it's the part I love is the the preparation and the angle at which he's going to come at stuff is so interesting and thoughtful and. He's just always going to be looking at stuff. And I think that the two of us intersect in this space where we have a conversation. I'll put it to you this way. The biggest thing I like about working with Doug is that whether it's on the air or off the air, when I'm asking him questions, it's just this constant, man, I'm interested in what he thinks about this. That's it right there. You know what I mean? That part of it is fun. And we laugh a lot, but it's... (laughs) It's we do, but it's it's just it's a blast. I I love the way his brain works, and it's uh, and I love how much he loves it. I think you know that that that's an important one. By the way, he really loves it. He really is connected and engaged in. Hmm, I wonder why this is happening. <laughs> you know, he he's he made the point. You know, like. Giants scoring this year, even though they're not slugging and trying to like pick that apart. And it's just that type of stuff that I, that I love. I also, my one other thing that I would say is this, whatever anybody wants to say about the scouts versus stats type debate and just moving the needle on getting some of the the newer stats in mainstream more analytically inclined thinking in the mainstream. One thing I firmly believe is this, Jason, that if you're trying to deliver the message as it relates to analytics, it is always going to be consumed in better and broader fashion from a former player than it is from you or I. If Doug is able to deliver the message on why this guy is good because of outs above average, they are going to hear it 10 times better than they ever are because of the credibility of the fact that he played. So that's one of the things that I think 
that he delivers in a sneak attack way that I think is really important is the credibility of a lot of the advanced metrics that he's super familiar with and just understanding in terms of concepts. He can pass those along and do it in a better way than I ever could. Uh, no, I appreciate that, Boog. And, and I definitely, I call you John a lot, which I enjoy. And uh, so that relates back to our childhood. He is also, <laughs> by the way, one of the only people that calls me John. So John. <laughs> Who is this John you're talking to? So, yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, well, we all share just loving this game. And it is my childhood. I mean, it, it's my connection to my brother. It's my dad's you know, becoming, you know, coming from another country, literally when he was 31 years old and familiar with cricket and decided to introduce my brother to, to baseball and as, as it related. And, you know, so I, I always remember coming home from games in the summer league. My brother's uh, seven plus almost eight years older. And that was our conversation. He'd, just, he'd go play by play in his game. I'd go play by play in my game and we'd catch each other up. So I, I've always seen baseball as, as like critical, foundational to my relationships with people. You know, it's like it's like trying to, you know, I understand and we, because we share this love of it. It's just a it's a, it's an understanding. And and so with with Boog and I, we kind of always had conversations along these lines out of curiosity, right? We, I mean, I sent the most texts before the Cardinals game. It was like, all right, I heard from Mark Simon, and here, you know, just, you know, it's like, here's what's going on with the Giants. And then we asked Gabe Kapler in the dugout. Just, so, um, and, and we have fun. Like, you know, the other day we were talking about Pitchcom, and someone was saying how they wanted, like, Snoop Dogg. It was it's Michael Givens, right? He wanted Snoop Dogg to do his pitch mm -hmm. comp. And I was like, well, what about, like, we grew up on this. What about Sesame Street? Let's have the, the count do it. So we started going, one fastball, two curveball, three. <laughs> so so uh, we just, uh, you know, it's, it's, all, it's all love. And we've, we've um, yeah. and all of us have crossed paths in, in so many places, right? ESPN, The Athletic. So, um, yeah, so I, I, I love John, Boog, Shambi, I like a brother. And, you know, we've, we've been able to Back share end. this a long time. And, and Jay, we, both, <laughs> both of us share you as the, as the gold standard. And that, that's what's so fun about it. We, we converge with all those connections. No doubt. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm honored by that, man. Uh, all right, we got to interrupt this love fest and talk about <laughs> actual baseball. Let's go. <laughs> uh, Boog, Doug and I were talking uh, earlier about – Sunday night, the two of you were calling Cardinals Giants on ESPN Radio. It's the ninth inning. You look up, and Albert Pujols is pitching. Uh, we went through how Glanville reacted, but you're the play-by-play -play maestro. What are you thinking when Albert takes the mound? So the first thing, and if you listen back to it, and I contemplated it, he worked so damn fast <laughs> that I didn't have a chance to set it up or really, I, I felt like I was chasing it because he was just grab and go, grab and go, grab and go. <laughs> there were, so it was, it was a little intense. I was absolutely aware of, I mean, I love that Longoria asked for the baseball and the hit. I, I said, and was, you know, thinking, Man, if somebody hits one out, they're going to be able to say they hit a homer off a Hall of Famer, um, you know. And eventually, I, we I, we didn't even really get a chance to get into this, but I, you know, 
last night is probably going to be the last instance of a pitcher hitting a home run off a pitcher. <laughs> you know what I mean? So not, not Otani division, right? Yeah. Not right. Not Otani division. So, you know, you're talking, uh, you know, Luis Gonzalez hitting the home run Sunday, I should say, <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was, yeah. it was cool. It was, it was, it was just, you, everybody was smiling. That part of it I thought was great. <laughs> Yeah, now see, here's the thing that people listening don't think about, but I do. I know that you prepare for everything, everything. Right. Would this qualify as a thing that you couldn't possibly prepare couldn't for? Couldn't possibly prepare for. No, they're, they're, like there's just, I'm not, no, I have, I have nothing on, on Pujols finishing in that spot. I mean, I think the only thing that I, that started to go through my head, but it started to go too quickly was, if you remember early in his career, Pujols was playing third base and he had elbow issues and they, there was talk that he was going to, I don't think he ever had Tommy John, but he was, there was a possibility that he would have Tommy John. And so they put him into left field. Um, but yes. again, it, it just, it all, it all, it went fast, but no, I was not prepared for that. Unprepared. <laughs> 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 we caught him there, Doug. We yeah, caught I mean, him. It was, um, yeah, I mean, and Cardinals fans were, were fired up about this. But, you know, we just talked about the, the joy of, first of all, how the fans reacted and seeing Albert Pujols, you know, smiling on the field. I mean, he was nicknamed the machine. You know, he had his thing, and he was, he was stone cold about it. When you played against him, you knew you were in for a, the battle of your life. This guy was always focused. So it was good to see, like, something – I mean, the man has accomplished everything under the sun uh, on the field. So it's more like, okay, what else can he do? And, and that is like go back to our 13-year-old selves, right, and try to find something. You, you know, he probably pitched a little bit back in, the, back in the day. A lot of these guys did. So, I mean, I would love to pitch, throw an inning in there. You know, I pitched in high school. I pitched actually an inning in college. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, but it, it, was, it was surreal seeing him out there. And I got a question. And not to take, to, I'm going to get yelled at for this, but I'm I'm used to it, so it's fine. <laughs> by us? Not yeah. by you. It's it's going to the audience is going to, but but I ask it sincerely in terms of I know we get uncomfortable with change, blah blah blah. But if you can meditate on the idea, let's just say that Sunday night the, the exact same thing happens, only because the Cardinals are up big. And they don't have Albert Pujols, and in that spot, Tommy Edmond comes into pitch. Mm-hmm. I guess my question is, in all seriousness, are we starting to move towards a place where we need to think about a ten-run rule? <laughs> because it starts <laughs> to be when you're—I mean, that game was absolutely the the baseball equivalent of taking a knee or running four corners. <laughs> There's no competition taking like. The hitters don't – they don't want to give up at bats because they're being evaluated all the time. But but effectively what is taking place is they're just trying to get the game over with. <laughs> 
Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I'm not there yet. I see your point. I'm not there yet. Uh, Hey, I felt this way about the extra inning rule once. Like, as a fan of the weird and wacky, I I always kind of enjoyed it when... uh, the the Dodgers would play 19 innings and would end at 5:45 a.m. in the East. I, I didn't have to play it though, <laughs> so I, I'm I've come around on that rule. Um, this thing, I I was not a fan of seven inning doubleheader games, and the reason is I I think it's really important in baseball that we still be able to connect the dots, connect the generations, connect what we're seeing tonight with maybe that thing we haven't seen since 1905. And the games have to be the same length. So if a game, if so, how would the 10 run rule work? The, the Cardinals take a 10 run lead with one out in the fifth and then everybody walks off the field. Not in favor of that. I guess what I would say to you though, is that if you really, if you really I, I I get it, but the truth is, it's already happening. We're already disconnected. We have Tyler Beatty came into the game last night, who's a waiver claim. He's throwing ninety eight. Like it's way <laughs> different than in nineteen oh four. That in the tenth inning, a guy gets an RBI for someone that was magically placed <laughs> on the bases. <laughs> You know, I, I jokingly said to Edwin Rios the other day, hey, man, you have a cool major league record. He's like, what's that? I said, you have the first ever leadoff two-run homer in the history of major league baseball. And he's like, that's right, I do, against the Astros. I, so, I, I, look, I'm just, I, I'm just asking. What I am saying, though, is um, – we're it's fine to change and if you can't like you really can't match the pieces up anyway you can't you know what i mean i it's 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 putting it in a you can't stop me (laughs) fair enough i'm going to connect them fair enough that's fair all right since you did the giants and we're we're on to these uh new age concepts I'm sure you must have talked about the unwritten rules with Gabe Kapler because the Giants have blown up the unwritten rule book. Uh, Doug and I want to publish one and make a fortune, but where are you on the Giants deciding that those rules no longer exist? Can I jump in here and say this? 
the one thing that, that happened with Pujols the other night, you don't see that one very much. I, you, the winning team, the team that's ahead, normally doesn't do what they did in that spot because there's this concern that are we rubbing it in as we're beating your butt and we're going to save pitching and pitch a position player. And I can't help but wonder, and I did not ask this question, whether part of why that was able to happen is because they're playing the Giants. Because the Giants don't care. Yeah, right. um, my, my opinion... Great point. My opinion is um, I like what Gabe Kapler is doing. I think the idea, the idea that in a blowout only one side gets to try is... Uh, is and has forever been silliness. Um, so you worry about your team. We'll worry about our team. You know, I, I'm in on, you know, sportsmanship as a general idea. I'm very in on it at the youth league level. But, you know, now we're paying people to compete. And I I don't understand why if, you know, you're trying to strike me out and get me out. Why I'm not allowed to do every single thing that I want to do, regardless of the score, to try to get a hit. So I, I'll put it to you this way. In my opinion, people that defend the unwritten rules, ultimately, if you get into an argument with them, they will find themselves defending something that is really stupid. <laughs> I Hey, everything that Gabe has said about this, that their team has said about this, makes total yes. sense. It's logical. I guess my question is, does one team get to unilaterally <laughs> declare this? Well, no, no. They that's sometimes how it works, but there's two teams playing. What if the other team does not <laughs> agree? Now you sort of have two teams playing by two different yes. rules, and that team that's not abiding by this can easily take offense <laughs> somebody could get hurt yeah. something like stuff could happen if we don't agree on the boundaries can i can i say this one i i i really resist and resent the um somebody could get hurt line and you're like but i just need to make the point because it is said all the time and it's said in a way like it's a cartoon and someone's going to drop a piano on somebody out of nowhere. No, somebody could get hurt, meaning it, what it translates is, is I might try to hurt you. That's what that means. Somebody might get hurt is not some random act that takes place where like, you know, something bad might happen, but a car just might drive onto the field. No, what somebody might get hurt means is we might get angry and try to hurt you. That's what that means. So let's be clear about that. We might get so angry about right. it, we might try to harm you. Now, and when you say yeah, that's, and when you say it like that, okay. So that's dumb. I I agree with you, but aren't aren't we living in a world where some teams think that way? Yes, correct. I'm just what I'm saying though is. Somebody might get hurt line. I'm not accusing, but like guys say, they say it. It's like a mob thing. Like, I don't know. You know, somebody might get hurt here. Like, like they don't have a say in it. Yeah. Right. You have to resist your retaliatory, retaliatory instincts. And 
I mean, but it, yeah, it's it's tough. And well, here's the thing: like unwritten, like it couldn't be helped. Right. Like it right. Can't be helped. Well, yeah, because the rules <laughs> trigger certain things. Like this is what's supposed to happen, and 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 it does. And and like you know, charging the mound, and maybe it's not like I'm really trying to quote hurt you, but I'm gonna have a physical altercation. I'm gonna hit you with the baseball. All these things. And right. look, I, I, I just the, the broad way I look at unwritten rules is I mean, I think they're necessary because we are we live a world of unwritten rules. I mean, most of the stuff we care about are not written down. All right. Uh, my my etiquette at the dinner table with my kids, my like bedtimes and whatever else. Right. So I, I, I don't have a problem with the fact that you're trying to have some framework around respect of your opponent, sportsmanship. Uh, yes. So those parts makes sense to me. Now, of course, it's evolving since 100 years ago, and it will continue to evolve. And I think it's been, yeah, just because a guy had a home run off you, you shouldn't hit a guy, right? Things like that. And, you know, so, but yeah, there's these other aspects of it that are, you know, gameplay. So I guess I ask you, uh, John, one of the questions is, well, is, is there, if you had one unwritten rule that you hear a lot about that you'd love to just eliminate and give people like the Jedi mind trick, is there one that stands out to you that you like? That's just absolutely absurd. Or is it? Man, I I, I do think the retaliatory part. It, I, I mean, there no there there's they all kind of fit into this. Like I would even drill down on you, Dougie. I think just used to it. I think that baseball is the king of why do we do it this way? Because that's the way we've always done it. Like think about the idea of disrespecting me period, I'm going to throw a baseball at your head. Right. Like as a transaction, that's it's so I, I, I like I'm, I'm going to get the respect back by throw by possibly you. I, I, I just, I, I understand where it comes from. I completely understand where it comes from, but I just, there's, there's too many, look, there's too many of these. Do you remember, it, this is a long time ago where, do you remember when Davey Lopes was managing the Brewers and Ricky Henderson stole and Davey got upset and then people go back and look at whatever the parameters Davey Lopes had put on when Ricky ran and they found all these instances of when, uh, he's done the ran. same thing. So I, I get you, Dougie, in terms of that they're not written down, but I, it, it yeah, it becomes a thing. It, it just gets harder and harder to defend. It does. Right, well, like, well, but even, almost all. Right, but to that point, okay, so think about the 10-run rule, right? The idea, like, so yeah. if the idea is that you should always compete to the end and, like, put your ego aside, so to speak, and and, like, so it's like, it's hard to reconcile, all right, well, that I have to, you know, I have to back up or I have to quit at some point, right? It's, it's a tough, it's a tough balance to be like, all right, how far do you go, right? I, I have to compete and I have to take it. Now, yeah, intimidation is part of the game. There's a difference between like, I'm trying to hit you or I'm trying to establish the inside part of the plate or, and of course those. But if you're beating me 10 nothing, right. there's that old thing of like, right. I mean, how about, can I take a big swing? Yeah segment of the baseball population that gets angry yeah and i take a big swing i'm up 10 nothing now you're allowed to try to compete 
at your highest level because you're losing. You're allowed to throw every pitch to try to strike me out, but I'm not allowed to hit the ball over the fence. Yeah, and I and I, I think there and I do think this has evolved. Whether it's a bat flip, just take bat flipping, right? Um, you know, but there's always I think woven into any competition, you have these sort of lines, right? About what is and yeah, many of them may be ridiculous in in like in absolute, but they they come from yes. right. They come from this like place of all right. Well, part of it is I'm yeah, it's ten nothing, and you really shouldn't rub a guy's face in the dirt, even as a professional, right? You know whatever it is, and and yeah, and and we all have these lines, you know, somewhere in there, right? It's like all right, if I had a home run, and I flipped the bat fine, but if I go around the bases pointing at you and and dancing in your face and stepping on home plate yeah. and then go, you know, like. Somewhere we have a line. <laughs> so, so, uh, I think the only thing I say that, that I, I like, look, I'm not advocating that, but at the college level, you have different teams, you know, bigger schools, smaller schools, different competition levels. It's professional. Everybody's getting paid. Like, if you know, I, I'm not advocating for bad sportsmanship, but I will say I, I do think that it's the big leagues and we're all competing and like you, you put yourself in the middle of, you know, basically in the ring. Sometimes it's not going to look so good for you. Right. And, but, and I, yeah. I would also say that on the bat flip thing, I do think that one of the parts about it, it's, it's a great topic because the other part of the thing is that I think the pitcher a lot of times makes the bat flip about him. And it's not about him. It's about the hitter. Like to me, David Ortiz was never saying, or very rarely saying, bleep you. He was saying, I'm happy. <laughs> right. And then everybody on the defensive side makes it about them because they get offended by it. But David's not. I think as a general idea, in many instances, bad flips are not bleep you. Bad flips are, gosh, this is awesome. Right, but that's the line. That's exactly the line. When you make it about your opponent, rubbing them in the fa their face in the dirt, and they're, then that's where it changes. That's where the unwritten but rule. Nobody signs anything right. that's notarized that says I'm doing this. Right. So, I, so my opinion is, more often than not, it is not I'm rubbing your nose in it. You <laughs> taking it, like, in the end, I get to say what the intention of my – Right. What my act was. Right. You don't, I do. Right, but that's the point. What, what do you, how do you, if it's not, you said more often than not. So when it is not, what do you do? I'm not saying you hit a guy, but what do you do? Huh? You you lose? You lose. <laughs> right. You lose. Right. Exactly. That's what happens. Yes. You lose. And then you try and do it to them the next time. Like that's in the end what happens is that right. I think that's the best way to solve it. I'd also say this. Why don't we have this in other sports? Yeah. Not have this conversation <laughs> in other All sports. Right. That this is exactly right. Is every other sport, you're allowed to be happy. <laughs> You're allowed to celebrate. You can sack the quarterback down three touchdowns, pound your chest, point toward whatever, and nobody thinks a thing of it. But in baseball, somebody needs to get hurt. Somebody needs to pay. What are oh, we doing? I think doing? those sports have a lot of unwritten rules, too. No, don't sleep. Don't sleep. <laughs> but not, not this. Not like this, you're though. You're right. You're allowed to express personality and emotion in the other sports and baseball we're, yeah, we're getting, getting there. there 
you know, as the father of a daughter who was actually involved in the Let the Kids Play campaign, I remember telling her at the time, you understand, this is a huge culture-shifting moment for baseball. Remember, had Major League Baseball put together a campaign, a commercial, a spot, whatever that you would describe that as. We've never had Major League Baseball say to all players, let the kids play. That means you can do what you think feels right. This is coming from the sport, and players are doing it, and we've advanced as a society because of that moment. But I don't know if we're going to advance as a society because the Giants decided <laughs> we're ripping up right. that, rule, no, it, that rule book. Dougie, would you at least concede, uh, like, explaining the – if you were in a basic level to explain – the majority of the unwritten rules as they played out mm -hmm. to a 10 year old, yeah. I have a the 10, 10 year old would be very confused. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, maybe why did I think, he throw the baseball at him? Dad. Yeah. And, and, and look, I think that's the extreme example. I don't know how often, first of all, people actually get hurt. I don't think it's a good thing for starter. Obviously I, I love the inside pitch, but yeah, I would, I would explain it in the context of sportsmanship and respect and dignity and all those things. And, and you still can beat a team to a pulp. That, that's how I would explain it. And I think, yes, they, they blur that, that more often than not, more often than not, it is about sportsmanship, etiquette, respect. And then there's the not, which is when people are just mad and mad that they got beat and things like that. Uh, yeah, and look, I'm glad it's evolving Where because I, I played in Puerto Rico for two years and that was a whole different planet and it was fantastic. We had a salsa dance team and all kinds, you know, I mean, I had a, that was the best time I ever had in baseball. And, and look, there was still a time where Juan Gonzalez tried to climb the net and, and, and fight a fan in the game because he was mad about something that was being said. But, you know, so I, I, I'm glad just on the cultural level to see baseball kind of wake up to that. I think, you know, retaliation was always pretty ridiculous on that side. Like, and you just play hard. And, and like, look, and you, I send you messages all the time about taking out the shortstop and the second base, you know, about like injury sides of that. Uh, I, that's, yeah. that's where I come from. But yes, I, I'm glad to see what, what is transpiring and, and more has to push back on what is just ego maniacal retaliation versus just like, hey, respect your opponent. That's, that's a good thing. Boog, I never want to let you leave uh, without talking about this. Um, we're a couple of weeks away from Lou Gehrig Day, uh, a day that's very important to you. So I always want to give you the opportunity to talk about the work that you do to support the search for a cure for ALS. I appreciate it. I, um, yeah, it goes back. I, I was born in Philadelphia, but I moved to New York when I was seven years old. And I met a group of kids. We had a love for sports and baseball. One of the kids, a guy named Tim Sheehy, when I was seven years old. And stayed connected to all these guys, still connected to him. Tim was diagnosed with ALS in 2005. We lost him in 2007. And since 2006, we've, uh, a group of us have been running a, a charity called Project Main Street. Project Main Street raises awareness and raises money for people living with ALS um so it's money that goes directly to patients for patient care the average out-of-pocket cost for someone with als is two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is incredible um you know they haven't 
made great strides since Lou Gehrig died of the disease. Um, you know, one of the points I like to make, you know, that's a quirky sports factor, but the first jersey that was ever retired in the history of sports is number four. So effectively, the reason we have retired numbers is because of ALS. Um, so it's it's an important day for me. This is the second annual one. I, look, I, I want to raise money for a cure. I hope my charity doesn't exist in 10 years. But right now, I just still think from an awareness standpoint, we still have to have more people aware that this disease is 100% fatal. The average lifespan is two to five years. And we got to do something about it. So I'm working right now on uh, getting T-shirts for every team that will be colored that are going to say end ALS for Lou. And so, you know, for the, the Phillies shirt, it would be red. It'll say end ALS in blue and for Lou, the number four in Lou in white. For the Cubs, it'll be a blue base shirt. It'll say NALS in red, four Lou in white, and so on and so forth. So, And then you can buy those shirts. Um, we'll be able to buy those shirts coming up. So I, I just it, – it's something that's really important to me, June 2nd, and, uh, you know, get a chance to just try and spread the word. That's that's really what I'm, what I'm hoping to do. And uh, hopefully sometime in my lifetime we're not having this conversation. Well, that's great and so important. And so if people want to get involved, if they want to give, how would they So our, our website is Project Main Street, but it's uh, st.org. So Project Main, st.org. Um, every dollar raised goes to somebody living with the disease. Um, if you want to uh, raise money or, or donate money to, um, you know, some type of cure project or trial the healy center in massachusetts is is a really good one so those are two things but if you can just do some type of part you know on social media to, to spread awareness i think that would be a, a big thing just so we have more and more people that understand what als is excellent uh boog you, you you're awesome man you're the best we love it when you come see us in starkville and we had about a thousand other things we wanted to get to today so you're just gonna have to come back the next time you're busy ubering <laughs> yes from st or louis wherever. to chicago or wherever wherever call us okay we'll put you right i will I, I it's i cannot wait to send you guys the group text guys i'm in an uber do you have some time to talk? <laughs> <laughs> okay let's make that happen along with publishing yes. the unwritten rule yes things that have to happen in our lives book all the best man see you soon love you guys thanks all right man see you soon are you struggling to close deals b2b selling is tougher than ever and that's why i want to tell you about linkedin sales navigator one more great product from linkedin you're there to network you're there to look for jobs you're there to post jobs and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job
job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Hey, Doug, put your thinking cap on, man. I know you have one because it's time once again for the world-famous listener trivia segment, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. We'll tell you how you can be part of this segment in just a few minutes. But first, let's welcome in this week's special trivia guest star. It's Bill Flanagan. Hey, Bill. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Honored to have you here, and I'm pretty sure it's your first time. It's my first visiting time us, visiting, so first time us. sending in a question. I'm really not too much of a trivia guy, but I thought I, this one might be interesting. Yeah, very good. Uh, all right, why don't yeah. you tell us where you're from, what you do, and especially anything else that you might be able to give us a hint that would help us avoid getting. <laughs> well, I live uh, just outside Austin, <laughs> Texas, so uh, I grew up a Rangers fan. I'm from the North Texas area originally. And uh, I was a school teacher for many years. Now I just do some freelance writing and write a few books and just try to work as little as possible. <laughs> well, that yeah, sounds like a good idea. Well, what grade? What, I was what a, grades did I you was teach? a middle school subject? English teacher for many years. Yes. Nice. Oh, very yeah. good. Well, very nice. important. Uh, Doug can Doug can testify to the importance of middle school English teachers, right? Oh yeah, I got I got two middle schoolers. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bill, we get you know we get most of our questions via Twitter these days, but it looks like you actually took the time to a True. email us and b it took a lot of time to research the question. So can you confirm that? I did that? do did that, that to the best of my ability. I think I nailed it, but we'll see. Yeah, I figured either you did a lot of research or you once got this question wrong yourself down at your friendly <laughs> neighborhood liquid refreshment hangout. Yeah, that would be a good way to miss it for sure. <laughs> right. That, that, that's what usually happens in the trivia world. So, all right. Now, I, looking at your question, it gives us many opportunities to get it wrong. So why don't we get right. it over with? Why don't you? Well, let's do it. Us so last your- week. Justin Verlander joined a rather unique group of pitchers whose career record is 100 games or more above 500. Uh, Clayton Kershaw is also in that group. The last pitcher to retire with a record of 100 games or more above 500 was Andy Pettit, who retired in 2013. He's 103 games above 500. Between 2007 and 2009, a bunch of guys did it. Roger Clemens, Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox. Pedro Martinez, Mike Messina, and Tom Gladden. But before that, you have to go back a while. No pitcher did it in the 90s, but two pitchers accomplished that feat in the 80s and one in the 70s. Who are they? See, when you're emailing your question, it, it allows you to add all that texture 
and perspective. <laughs> Big fan of that. So feel free yes. to email us your questions <laughs> out there to give us more time to think of wrong answers. Um, now, I, I don't know exactly when anybody retired. So I, 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 is it okay when we answer the question if we just give you three names? Oh, no. That's it. fine. That'd be perfect. Okay, so uh, 70s, 80s, 80s pitching trivia. Doug, is that in your wheelhouse or not? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's pretty good. Yeah, I think of the dominant teams from those eras. You know, obviously you had to be on a pretty winning team yeah. uh, for the most part. And yeah, you know, those are those are the years I paid a lot of attention, especially the, the late 70s, early 80s. Okay, well... Um, we're going to need that all that expertise of yours on the late 70s and early 80s to get this thing right. Now, my first thought was, anybody who did this back then almost certainly was a Hall of Famer and almost certainly would have to be a guy who pitched on teams that won. Okay, so I had a bunch of really obvious names that popped into my head. Jim Palmer, Tom Seaver, Steve mm -hmm. Carlton... Mm -hmm. Catfish Hunter, Bob Gibson. That, that was the first group. I did yep. think a little about Don Sutton just because he won so many games. Yeah, he did pitch one. for those Dodger teams that won, later pitched for the Brewers when they won. But I, I actually think it's from that first group. Mm -hmm. I would I would guess Palmer and Gibson as the two I have the most confidence in. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I, Doug, what do you think? I mean, you literally have the same list I have. I mean, Steve Carlton, Tom Seaver, Jim Palmer. I mean, you know, Bob Gibson. I mean, when you, I know he, I know he lost. I don't know how he lost a single game when he had a one-one-two ERA, <laughs> but you know, whatever. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a. I mean, I threw someone like Steve Stone. I was trying to find some sleeper in there, like. I don't know, Storm Davis, didn't he win like 30 games one year? <laughs> so, no, no, he did not. <laughs> oh, well, no. that was Steve Stone. Steve Stone no. won 30 games. Danny McLean won 30 games oh, in, that, in that time. Okay, but so. There's no way he was 100 over 500. Well, who, so, yeah, I was thinking of, well, I was trying to work backwards who has the most wins, right, all time. Like, I was thinking of that, too. Uh, but a lot of those guys <laughs> are from the, you know, 20s, 30s or whatever. I mean, I, I like the list. I, I, I had Carlton, Seaver, Palmer, and Gibson. I just didn't know who to eliminate. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean Gibson, well, Gibson is 70, so that's easy. I don't, uh, who else is in the 70s? Uh, now Catfish Hunter would have been in the 70s, too. Oh, 70s. We had this discussion a few weeks ago with some other question, because Catfish pitched for the A's teams that dominated in the early 70s, and he went to the Yankees. That team went to three World Series in a row in the mid and yeah, late 70s. Um, it's hard to believe Gibson didn't win a hundred more games. Than yeah, losses. that's what I think. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm really, is, I'm really confident in Palmer too. So, so Palmer, Gibson, Seaver. Well, uh, Seaver, Palmer, see, Gibson, Seaver, Seaver hung on and, and got banged around in the White Sox, and I guess Carlton True. did too. With the and, Giants. and the Mets weren't the Mets weren't all that good throughout much of his career. Carlton pitched on. All yeah. the great Phillies teams. He was with some good, really good Cardinals teams, and, and won more games than Seaver. All right, so and he and yeah, and the year that they were terrible, he won like twenty-seven games. Yes, he did. <laughs> okay, so uh, all right, so all you right. want to go Palmer, Gibson, Carl? Yes, that's what I'd go. All right, now, Bill, I'm you know we as I mentioned, we normally talk ourselves out of the right answer, <laughs> but we're gonna pray that we actually got this right. Is there any chance it's Jim Palmer? Bob Gibson, and Steve Carlton. 
Well, you bantered around a lot of names. <laughs> uh, oh no, here we go. Definitely, uh, you got, you nailed Jim Palmer. He retired in 1984, 116 games wow. above 100. Right. Another guy that retired in the 80s, and you mentioned him, he's not your final answer, is Tom Seaver. Yep. Okay. Glanville just talked me out of Tom Seaver. <laughs> yeah, he was 106 <laughs> games above 500. Now, the third guy you never mentioned. Oh, no. Um, in the 70s? He retired in 75. I'll give you a hint. He was the winningest pitcher of the 1960s. 60s. And he wasn't Bob career. Gibson. It was well, who, uh, well, they lowered Gibson's. they lowered the mound. Who had all those ERA? Well, you mentioned we no, didn't no, mention no. It's not that's not about wins though. So in the sixties, uh, the Dodgers were good from beginning to end. Cardinals, Pirates, uh, Tigers. I can't think of that. Give up. <laughs> mm, I mean, hold, hold on a second. Since you gave us a great hint. Uh, Ferg, Fergie Jenkins. I mean, yeah, he Fergie's no, a really good guess. No, but I think he retired too late. I think he was eighties. He, he pitched. He pitched. He was. Yeah, you're right. Sixties. Yeah. Um, All right, who won those years? Right, like I mean, the Pirates. Are the Pirates good? Pirates. Yeah. I mean, Pirates, what about Yankees, well the Orioles? Dodgers, we already Orioles, have one Palmer. Pirates, Yankees, Dodgers, Orioles. Oh, we have no. Cardinals, we have no Yankees. Tigers. But the. The Yankees uh, collapsed the second half of that decade. Yeah, that's true. Sixty-nine. Uh, that's eight. Cardinal. Is it like two guys on the same team? <laughs> I don't even know any of the Tiger. Well, McLean, right? He's, yeah. All right. We, yeah, we mentioned know. him though. Uh, I. All right. Well, we've already we failed. Doug. Okay. We failed. The third guy. Juan Marichal. Oh, 101 oh. games. Above I thought about him. I did. I just. Oh, wow. Well. All Marichal. right. So, the way I'm looking at this, I got oh, two amazing. right. Doug got one right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you'd get the we first guys. I, I knew Marichal might be tricky. Um, but he, he won so many games he, in the 60s, 20 games. Times. Good yeah, that's a good one. Well, how, how close was Carlton? Carlton was 85 games above 500. So, Gibson, 77. So Carlton was probably 100 games over at some point, and then the end of his career just yeah. destroyed. Wow, that. Gibson uh, was only 77. That's amazing. <laughs> so incidentally, Scherzer is knocking at the door. Yes. Currently 194 and 98. Yeah, this is actually I've I, I've gotten a lot of notes out of this stat. It's a it's a really good one. All, but all I know is we didn't get it right. So I, am I right that we like it's seven out of eight now that we've missed? Yeah, I think we, you know we're, we're we're biting off a little more than we could chew because you know we're trying to get answers that have like five answers. And, yes, and we're, we're trying to hit all five. You know, so you know I think it, it, it creates a very good educational environment. So with an English teacher, I think that's good. Uh-huh. Y'all, so, did, y'all did really good. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. We, we you bettered the right name. Yeah, we like we're okay. You know, trivia is fun because it does make you think, and yes. it's fun because you get close. What's really fun is when you get it right. That's not <laughs> that thing that we do. So. We decided, if I remember, Doug, last week we decided we were going to start picking easier questions that only had one answer. And now that's not what we did at all. No, not at all. <laughs> all right, whatever. Whether we get the questions right, 
Remember when we used to get them right or wrong? The highlight of this segment has nothing to do with us. It's when we bring in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, and then he plays some great play-by-play clip that involves the answer and makes people forget all about the fact that we just got a question about this dude wrong. So, Tim, what do you got for us? All right. Well, of the three correct answers, only one of those pitchers won 300 games. So that's how I picked the uh, the highlight. That is Tom Seaver. And he did it back on August 4th, 1985, as Doug mentioned, with the White Sox. Seaver is ready to work now to Don Baylor. And it's a high fly ball. It should be playable. Nichols is moving over. Nichols is there. The ball game is over. Seaver has won 300. He has become the 17th man in the history of baseball to win 300 games. Seaver will turn it loose now. Well, he's a 40-year-old man, but this is a game for kids. And that kid is a very, very happy individual. I thought the call, I don't know who that was on the play-by-play, but it's such an old-time baseball voice. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Totally. that's great. Classic. Yeah, aren't, aren't you supposed to research who's on the call? I, I know. I ran out of time. <laughs> I'll, put it in, right. I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. go. Uh, it was still really fun hearing that. Uh, yeah. I actually was at that game. Uh, well, did, anyway, you didn't look Bill, over at the press box and see who was. Uh... I was kind of busy. <laughs> there was a guy winning his 300th game. <laughs> anyway, it was really fun to hear that moment. Bill, tremendous question. So come back yeah. and visit us again sometime in Starkville, okay? Well, thank you for having me, and I enjoy y'all's show every week. Really appreciate that, man. Thank you. Fun question. Thanks, Thanks Bill. Strange but true. You know, if we're playing that eerie, strange but truth theme, you know what it means? It means it's time for another edition of The Strange But True, where we look back and we laugh at something weird that went on in baseball in the last week. And, you know, Doug, I had so many uh, wild items to choose from in my last weird and wild column. It was hard to know what to pick for this show, but I, like, I couldn't resist... The, uh, the deja vu moment from the Brewers game in Cincinnati last Wednesday. It sounded kind of familiar. Why don't you listen? And that is triple locked off. The you got to go. Christian you got to go. Cycle you got to go. To second. You got to go. go. He's going to go. Triple City. Triple City. Christian Yelich. Go get that ball. Cycle. And some history since 1901 when we've been tracking. Christian Yelich picks up his third career cycle. And how about all three of them coming against the Cincinnati Red? Yeah, that was <laughs> Christian Yelich hitting for the cycle against the Reds. And no, this is not a recording. He just has this weird hobby of hitting for the cycle against the Reds over and over and over again. Uh, that makes three times now just against that team. Um, and did you know Doug already right, needed a triple, obviously, for the cycle there? All three times he's done this, he needed a triple for the cycle and then got it. <laughs> oh what are the goodness. odds? Oh, my goodness. Like, like zero. I mean, well, certainly <laughs> three times. That's That's bananas. I mean. How how in the world do you uh, do that three times and need a triple? I mean that's 
That's yeah. really hard to do. Yeah, but the, well, everything about this was hard to do. And so I compiled a little bit of goofy perspective on this feat. Okay, so three cycles by Christian Yelich just against the Reds, all since 2018. Three. How many cycles by all the other Brewers against all the teams in baseball in the last 10 years? None. <laughs> right. How many, how many teams that are not known as the Yelichs have three <laughs> cycles since 2018? That too would be none. <laughs> how many cycles against the Reds by all the players in baseball not named Christian Yelich? That would also be none. <laughs> how many cycles by the Reds in Christian Yelich's lifetime? That would be none. <laughs> okay, and then I love this one too. He's got two cycles at Great American Ballpark. How many cycles do you think everyone else who has ever played at that park has combined for? The answer is not zero, though. Uh, well, I played there once, so that's a long time ago. It's not so. you. It's one. <laughs> it's one. Randy Wynn did it 17 years ago. So think of the thousands of players who played in this place. They never hit for the cycle. This guy, every time he stops by, he hits for the cycle. Doug, your thoughts. Well, I, you know, I, I think there's a, the risk for Christian Yelich is I, I kind of think of it as, as a washing machine. You know, when I hear the word cycle, I, I think of that immediately. And, uh, and if you run something once, that's cool. If you run it twice, you're starting to get a little risky. And if you have a septic system and you run it three times, you're really, you're really rolling the dice here. And uh, I feel like that <laughs> the risk could be, first of all, all the suds. If you put too much soap in, you don't use the high-efficiency powder, and all of a sudden everything falls apart of the liquid. Uh, so I, I feel like there's a, an issue here of just if you overclean, which clearly Christian Yelich is doing, cleaning the bases as he's doing, uh, I don't think he's thinking of the possible risk of doing this in one location, Great American Ballpark. Uh, and the Great American Ballpark definitely should have uh, extra considerations for making sure all the venting works so you can drain what you need to drain from Selich's cycle. So uh, I think he'd be great at opening up uh, a dry cleaner, and that's his next step. <laughs> all right, I'm not sure what you just said, but I think you're trying to say he's a clean player. He's clean. You have to be clean if you hit for the cycle. Okay. Three well, times. Have it. I, have, I have one more question. Now, did you ever hit for the cycle? I look, you know, I did look up that you never, ever were a triple away from the cycle. You didn't hit enough home runs no. to do that. You were a home run away from the cycle. This was, you were with the Phillies in 2000, mm -hmm. September 30th, 2000, against the Marlins. Now, any chance mm -hmm. for, uh, it, it, like, did you go hit a, ball you had the three hits and then you hit a ball that carried to the fence or no yeah i don't no. probably not probably not <laughs> uh right. the power game wasn't i did hit for the cycle in spring training for the cubs and really? I hit, and i hit the grand i hit a grand slam the same week so that was pretty cool uh Hold it. so wait, I, wait nobody's ever in the game long enough in spring training to hit for the cycle even like a, uh, yeah. <laughs> it must have been a road game, and they didn't bring enough players, or what happened? No, we were. Um, it was. It was towards the. Uh, it was sort of the, towards the end of camp, and we had all these really competitive outfielders. It was like Brant Brown, Robin Jennings, Pedro Valdez, Ozzy Timmons, and so they wanted to get a long look at all of us. So we kind of 
We all went to Tucson to play the Rockies. That's a long trip. So they only bring the players who are going to play. So we played, uh, pretty much all of us played the whole, and I think I was one of, I think all of us had multi-hit games, by the way, that day. But uh, I did. And I used Brian McRae's bat. I I didn't have my bat or something (laughs) happened. And it was too long. And and all of a sudden, the first ball hit off the center field wall. And I was like, this bat's pretty nice. So, uh, and then the week prior or later, I think it might have been before, I hit a grand slam off the Mariners. So, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a great week. My slugging percentage in OPS that spring was like, it was it was off the charts. <laughs> so, and did you ever hit a grand slam in the big leagues? No. So I have so, no cycles. Yeah, no grand slams. So we need uh, to count all your spring training stats. We should. Or be in, the, in the minors, you know, remember Jason Christensen, the lefty reliever for the Pirates? Okay. So I had a walk-off, natural grand slam at home in Winston-Salem off of him, opposite field, <laughs> when what? I only had like one home run the whole season at the point. Yeah, it was un- over both walls. I mean, I have no <laughs> idea what happened. Perfect swing, and we're down three, and hit a walk-off grand slam. So, uh, yeah, that was a pretty cool headline in the Winston-Salem paper. So, I so to- I, Yeah. I used to think you had you had a really good career. Now it turns out that all the really great stuff you did never counted. <laughs> Apparently not. Counted Winston Salem though. The Carolina League record books. Okay, well, that's all that really matters is what you do that makes it into the Carolina League record books. Thanks for clearing that up, Glenville. <laughs> all right, that's gonna do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this. All season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read more from me on these strange but true moments that make up my weird and wild column, uh, or if you just want to read any of the incredible writing in The Athletic, let me tell you how you can do that. If you go now to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're a new subscriber, you can subscribe still for just $1 a month for the next six months. I said $1. It's amazing. What a deal. Uh, But also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every show, we pick a listener trivia question of the week. Then that listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there is no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So you can do what Bill Flanagan just did today. You can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com or it could come to the Twitter version of submitting your question. Um, if someone wanted to head over to Twitter and send a question to a guy named Doug Glanville, is that even mm-hmm. possible? It, it absolutely is. Uh, not sure if Elon Musk is going to be involved here, but my fascination with space program, you can do that. Uh, but um, if you also want to know about high efficiency washing machines, I have tips there. So just hit me up. Could you at just give, Doug, hmm? yeah. Just, yeah, just just give your your Twitter handle, please. Oh yeah, at Doug Glanville, <laughs> D O U G G L A N V I L L E. Okay, you That's can it. also tweet at me. I won't hit you up with any detergent. Uh, tips of any kind. Uh, I am at Jason S T J A Y S O N S T. Please remember to hashtag the questions. Hashtag Starkville Q S. So Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to our friend Boog Shambi for joining us. 
Thanks to Bill Flanagan for the fun trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Tomorrow, it's Roundtable Day right here on the Athletic Baseball Show. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on On Starkville. Starkville.